I think this pandemic will change the way everyone views things and maybe hopefully appreciates dining out a little bit more. I think the restrictions on international travel will be fantastic in some ways in terms of people holidaying more in Australia and seeing more of Australia and, and seeing what we do offer. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of people come to the valley that haven't been to the valley before. That's a nice feeling. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. In the face of despair, of a catastrophe, of uncertainty, time with family, the realisation of what matters comes to the surface. When times are tough, something within us compels us to reach for what truly matters. And it can set us on a path, often for the better. Troy Rhodes-Brown is the owner of award-winning regional establishment Muse Restaurant in the Hunter Valley. Troy, the Hunter isn't a bad location to experience a pandemic, but the bushfires were pretty devastating for your region during the summer. Yeah, g'day, Huck. Yeah, they certainly were, mate. They certainly were. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of off the back of a couple of years of drought, we were definitely all um, preparing for what was looking to be a pretty bad fire season. But I think we kind of kicked off first in the Hunter Valley with the fires in terms of regional Australia. And um, that was back in uh, November, I'd say, early November. And, um, yeah, it took, it took everyone by surprise. And, um, yeah, I kind of feel like we, our area or our regions, the sub-regions of Bacolban kind of got over the fires a little bit earlier than the other areas, but we were still pulled in and banked into all of regional Australia that was still burning, so visitation was still down and damaged for that whole period, you know, of three months, which was, um, which was um, not, not a good thing. I think we looked at, um, I think, the Hunter Valley itself, tourism was down about $42 million in that three-month period. So, wow. it's a lot, of family yeah, a lot of family businesses bearing the brunt of that. And I think off the back of that, everyone was kind of, the people that were in a, a bit of cash flow um, issues by that stage were really looking for a bumper Easter. I mean, Easter in the Hunter Valley is is probably the busiest time of year for our region, and everyone was looking forward to a bumper Easter, and it um and it turned out not to um not to come to any fruition at all. What was the impact through summer for your business on the viability of it, given that there weren't people visiting that that you're quite reliant on um, in the Hunter Valley? Mm, it was a it was a it was a strange thing to experience, Huck. Um, I think for us, like we've been trading as a restaurant now for 11, Muse Restaurant's been there for 11 and a half years and we've just seen this. Uh, the first 18 months, like all restaurants, was tough. Um, everyone has cash flow issues back then and um, it's not an easy road until you get to finding, you know, that little bit of stability. But once that, once we got to that point, like the restaurant just showed beautiful, solid, consistent growth for for 10 years you know for a long time and we just and um we we didn't take that for granted but the building and everything grows within those four walls so the staffings the takings the covers there's this upward trajectory for a decade and then so and 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 you feel there is a little bit of safety behind that but um i suppose with with moving with the, the growth, you can employ more people. So we went from at the start from twelve staff to we got up to about thirty three staff in the in the in the restaurant, 
and um, and there's a lot of full time. Like you, you get the opportunity to when there is that stability, you you find yourself the opportunity to um, hire mainly full time people, which means you're inheriting usually you know professional front of house, professional back of house career people and building a, a big core team. But to maintain that, you need a busy restaurant. And we saw it start to change for the first time in a long time. And I mean, restaurants that are in restaurants that are in control of their costings can be agile with their food cost and their and their drinks, and and they can pull that back when needed. But like when you're carrying a lot of staff into a quiet time, an un, uninspected quiet time, it can be it can be pretty tough. And we had, um, you know, I remember doing a couple of Wednesday and Thursday nights when those fires were around, and we had twenty staff on. And we had 18 diners booked in. I mean, those numbers, the numbers just don't stack up. I mean, if you're a restaurant that runs, if you're a restaurant that prides itself on being compliant and, and um, you know, you pay your staff properly and, um, yeah, I mean, and you still remain good value for money for the diners, you know your wage costs are going to be about 50%. That's where ours sit. And um, when you've got 18, 18 covers in and 20 staff on, you know, you're moving back pretty quick. You're a big champion of the local producers around you. What sort of impact did that period of time of the bushfires have on some of the people you work with? Um, the producers, the wineries, yes. Obviously, smoke tank was a huge thing for those guys. Uh, they dropped a lot of their – no, we didn't have vineyards exactly burning down in the area, but um, there was substantial smoke tank throughout the area. So um, off the back of the drought, there was already yield issues. Um, some good fruit comes out of bad times, Um um, some tasty fruit, some intense fruit, but um, at the same time, when the smoke hit at a poor time for the grapes to absorb that smoke, there was a lot that was lost. So, I mean, the Hunter Valley's got a lot of people. Uh, the Hunter Valley has a lot of um, wineries that also um, dip into other regions for their for their varietals. But at the same time, everyone was affected. So, yeah, they, they, there was a substantial loss. But for for my producers in terms of fruit and veg and and um, poultry and bits and pieces. They they weren't in um, direct. They weren't in a direct um, area that was affecting them in terms of growth or anything like that. It was the pandemic that that made them hurt. You've uh, created quite an incredible restaurant in regional Australia. You know, over a decade that has won multiple awards, and you've won awards as well for what you do personally. Um, but the summer put all of that sort of in doubt and you were hopeful of Easter sort of rejuvenating that and bringing everything back to normal, but the pandemic came along. What, what was the impact then? Mm, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was tough and it was the same as what everyone else is saying. There was just so much uncertainty and everything was changing so fast and um, you have people that, you, you, you know, some, some people – some people's businesses like ours is just just the foundation of it is structure and procedures and consistency and when someone's um, when someone's introducing changes to that every second day it's very difficult to it's very difficult to mold and morph into into maintaining what you're used to offering so like it was a stressful period for everyone like it was a stressful period for everyone but we 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 did our best and then when it got to the point where it was a closure um it was just time to make some decisions about what to do um, because there was an unforeseen amount of time that we had to close for. So um, I sat down with my accountants and we just ran worst case scenario. Um, we, we, we were planning for, for, clo for closure for six to nine months at that time 
and um, and then I just rang all the staff and had a chat to them. And then when we didn't know that job keepers was available to us, it was it was pushing them onto job seekers, which was such a difficult thing to not be able to provide your staff with with information about about the future of everything. But I did uh, with every individual conversation, I did come with a firm a firm. Um, um, reassurance to them to say that you know we are a strong business we're a strong restaurant you know we're not going anywhere we will be back and um, we'll see this out and um, that's kind of what they did need to hear as well at the time and and we knew that we were like I, I've I've always considered myself running a like a conservative business for a for a, for a restaurant that there's a, a big restaurant and a fine dining restaurant they're usually obviously very lavish and um and run with many different tiers of um, back of house where, you know, there's PR companies working in the background. There's a lot of management um, and there's – but for us, I kind of – you're behind that curtain. It's still a it's still a family-owned restaurant the way we run it. We haven't engaged a PR company before. We we kind of do a lot of the, the back of house stuff as much as we can and um, we don't uh, – yeah, we kind of just have our own identity about what I want and where we fit into being a restaurant like – I'm not, I'm not, Muse isn't a restaurant where we have a, a caviar and lobster garret on table or we're not your regular midweek diner. We're, we're a special occasion restaurant, but we, we, we just run it how we see fit and it's a conservative way to do so and it probably fared us reasonably well coming into this. Um, I think for me, when we first opened Muse, the cash flow issues that we did have at the start, that was very stressful for me. That sent a 25-year-old man grey almost and um, I never wanted to go I never wanted to go back there so I think I, I was putting procedures in place back then uh, everyone says you make mistakes in business and along the way and you learn from them and and the truth behind that is 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 so powerful you have to learn you have to learn from those mistakes and you know cash flow is a big thing for restaurants and when you go into when you're looking at something so unforeseen and a complete closure if you if you're spending money that's not yours, then you're going to find yourself in deficit super quick. So I've always, I've always put money aside that's not mine. So, you know, this perfect storm where customers pay in full on the night, they pay for their wine, they pay for their steak, they pay for everything. And then you have the opportunity to have a 120-day account with your winery. With the, with the wine, you have an 80-day account with your meat supply. You, you don't pay your business activity statement and for six months and you can you can you can put yourself in a position where you've got this little blue pill of confidence in terms of money in the bank and you go and spend it but it's not yours like you you we we always we always put you know and you're like a super like a um uh, like a um holiday annual leave account it's there um, a bass account it's there as soon as the money comes in it goes to those accounts and it's not mine um and then we have a, a like a rainy day account where something comes in. But I mean, there's not many restaurants out there that have a rainy day account that can last six to nine months either. So um, in that term, I'm very grateful that they brought in JobKeepers and we've managed to open up a lot sooner than what people were expecting. You say that you run a pretty conservative business and it sounds like you are all on top of everything with your business much more than a lot of operators out there. But there's certainly nothing conservative about what you offer in the restaurant it's if anything it's could hold its own in you know sydney and melbourne against the very best but you're in a little regional town 
you know, can you tell us a bit about a Muse restaurant and, and the food you do there? Because it is quite extraordinary. No, I think so. I think um, it's just I think it's just a it's a reflection of what we wanted to offer as a restaurant as as that's the reason why people do um, open restaurants you have a clear passion and and um, desire to want to produce something to make people feel a certain way and um, and when you get the opportunity to open your own place that's it's a powerful thing to be able to represent that and there's growth in that 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 does evolve and change. Um, but um, you start to develop relationships and I was already working in the area, so local producers and local produce became really important to me. Um, and it just grows. Like, God, there's a whole part of that that grows organically in reflection to who you are and um, and then who your core team are as well. Like if you've got a restaurant manager that's been with you for, for eight years and your head chef that's been with you for six years, that those people and their their import becomes like a part of the, the you know the tapestry of your business as well. Like it's all ingrained, um, and if the values behind that are, are, are good as well, then you're insured to hopefully have a good business for a long time. But um, yeah, but we're we're just a, we're we're a restaurant that wants to provide something special, wants to provide an experience that's reflective of good times and memories, but also the the underlying. The underlying values of it is we're supporting local and we're serving good food. It's interesting. It's not. I wouldn't say it's like um, cutting edge, um, um, the most provocative cuisine going on. That's not us. But like we are different. Um, but we we I think we're just um, we just do our own thing. We look within our four walls. We look what's around us, um, and, and we have a lot of we have a lot of people not just producers and suppliers of the area we just have a lot of people who live on land around here that are great diners that have big kumquat trees and big mulberry trees and citrus groves and and we get to visit those places and and your menu starts to reflect those seasons of people um ringing up and saying hey i've got i've got two utefuls of ruby grapefruits and we're like yeah great we'll come and pick them and they're amazing, but like, how do you how do you use two ute trays full of ruby grapefruit? It's like it's going on the menu immediately, and you're going to find a way to put it on there. Um, so I think um, if there's a if there's an ingredient that's getting used in a lot of restaurants at at, at a time, like we can't we don't really look at that too much. We kind of just do what what we can get as well, like in our area. When the decision was handed down and you had to close the restaurant, was there did you ever entertain the thought of doing takeaway and, and what have you done in this period while the restaurant was closed? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I just, I took a big breath. I, t- I took a big breath when we got closed down, like after calling all of, all, after calling all of the staff and having a chat to everyone and then having a chat to the accountants, I just, um, I felt like it just didn't feel right. Huh? It just didn't feel right to do. And I know every, 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 restaurant and every location and situation was different and some people did some amazing stuff and were able to flip a restaurant in two weeks and I find that incredible um but that just wasn't me and it it just didn't feel right to be able to put rather our our food in in containers and and deliver them and I didn't just think I just didn't think there was we didn't have the avenue to do so in our area like it is predominantly tourism um, that we'll be relying on and there was zero visitation allowed in the area so um, our locals that are great supporters of ours we just don't have enough of them so um, we would have burnt that 
burnt that candle pretty quick in about two weeks, I think, of supporting, of, of, of sending the locals something from us. And then in terms of fruit and veg boxes and stuff like that, that our producers had become quite agile in doing, in doing that. So Newcastle Greens and Little Hill Farm and all of them were starting like, to push their retail side of it and delivering to homes and we just promoted them. You know, we, we pushed their ingredients through our social medias and, 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 and our chefs and everyone was ordering, everyone was ordering um, Little Hill Farm chicken and veg boxes from those guys almost every week and, and a lot of their business came from the local industry, which is a real lovely thing as well. Um, so we just took a big breath, we slowed down and I just watched what other people were doing and um, I felt like after a few weeks we were, we were seeing our country and especially our country were, were on a good on a good um, trajectory and I, I felt like there, there was the opportunity that we were going to open in some capacity a little bit earlier than expected and I took the opportunity to have a bit of time around home. Um, I take a lot of pride in my home and I work hard around here and I really enjoy it but it's kind of those two-day jobs that you never get a chance to do and those three-day jobs, they kind of bank up so it was a good opportunity for me to um, do some gardening, some painting, some deck oiling and a stack of stuff and time with the kids and camping in the backyard and, um, and, and had some fun with it as well. Well, and speaking of your kids, you know, you've been doing all sorts of videos on social media, whether it's cooking or club quarantine that I saw one. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> yeah, we had, we, we did have a little bit of spare time, um, on our hands and, uh, my seven-year-old son discovered that there was such thing as TikTok. And I mean, we didn't load anything on TikTok, but we did make our own videos and, um, we did hold a nightclub here one night, which was a little bit of fun and, um, yeah, some cooking and some stuff in the garden and, um, it just doesn't seem like I've got enough time to keep all of, to keep that going now that it's um, back to normal. But um, no, we, we had some fun as well. Has that period of time spent with them changed you in this time? Um, it has. I, I think I kind of probably moved. Um, I moved um, that um, perspective and that um, that sacrifice to be spending time with my kids um, about two years ago. So, I mean, the time during um, isolation accentuated that for sure, but, like, it was, there was already some structure there for me where I was um, spending more time with the kids, which is just – it's just so important. And, um, yeah, look, I think um, finding the right balance to, to sacrifice between your work and your personal life and time with kids is just so important if you want any time of – any if you want any any um, – longevity in this industry with um with the night work and the hours like you need to be able to find that balance pretty quick and um yeah two two or three years ago i made some changes to to spend some more time with them so going into isolation it was just a, it was an added bonus to have that extra time how have you felt about what you do for a living and the, and the restaurant and the region through this period do you think it will alter the what you uh, deliver to the market moving forward Mm, yeah I think I think we had a recipe that kind of works I mean restaurants are so hard and there's so much uh, we all know the margins are so small and um, very very little room for mistake and um, there's no such thing as you know these industry averages for, for for wage and food costs and I mean they're just 
they're not they're not accurate because they're so they need to be tailored so uniquely to 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 restaurants positions and what you're offering and um, we, we've found our little recipe in our area and I feel like I feel like it works um, it's never gonna it's never gonna make me a multi-millionaire huck but it's gonna make uh, it makes a, a good restaurant with longevity and, and supports staff and producers so like if I make changes to it I would make tweaks and it will always constantly evolve gently which is how it always has done we may look at changing some hours some operational hours um, and may look at um, we're looking at building a, a like a small bar area off the side of the restaurant as well um, in the future but um, no, no no big no big structural changes and um, no I think I think it will change I think this pandemic will change the way everyone views things and maybe hopefully appreciates dining out a little bit more. I think the restrictions on international travel will be fantastic in some ways in terms of people holidaying more in Australia and seeing more of Australia and, and seeing what we do offer. Um, so there, there's, some, there's some positives. I think there's a little bit of a honeymoon period to come um, in terms of visitation to these, these regional areas. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say it's still a little bit hard to comment on. I think over the next 12 months, we will see a bit of a honeymoon period, which I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of people come to the valley that haven't been to the valley before. That's a nice feeling. Like it's a nice feeling to, to know that there's new customers, um, coming to the area, but, um, it's hard to say for the, for the long term. How are you feeling about having the town full? Do you have concerns given that you know, there's, you know, the outbreaks that are happening in Victoria and the fact that there are still cases being named. Do you have concern about having a lot of people in town or do you think that um, things will be okay as we move forward? Uh, I think, I, th I think at this, at, like there is a, there is a big buzz in the Hunter Valley. Um, I mean, the guys who hold the, the portfolios for stays around here, they're, they're, they're at capacity every weekend. Um, it's like Elton John's in the Hunter Valley every week at the moment. It's just the place is <laughs> packed. But um, but at the same time, like we're a big open space. These people are in private houses and luxury accommodations um, around the around the valley. And when they come to restaurants and they come to cellar doors, they're coming under strict strict um, adherence for the COVID. You know, we've got a, we've got a massive dining room space and PDR and a foyer and and the kitchen space is huge. We're, we've got a huge venue amuse and we can only fit we can fit fifty six people in there. Um, so yeah, I think it's the, the way that we are, the way that the restaurant, uh, the restaurants and the cellar doors have had to restructure, it feels, it does feel safe and, and New South Wales feels good at the moment. So we, we are in a good spot, but let's, let's not take it for granted. And hopefully everyone remains, um, a little bit, uh, everyone remains astute and focused on, on the, on the end game and controlling it. Well, some of the challenges of being a special occasion occasion restaurant in the country, which uh, attracts a lot of clientele that perhaps are visiting the region that may have never experienced the restaurant before, or with different perceptions of value. You know, how do you how do you approach pleasing everyone that comes through the door? That it's you know, they're, you're not relying on as a local trade as much as perhaps some restaurants. Mm, yeah, that's a really good question. We um. Uh, I, I felt like when we when we first opened, we kind of put a few things in place where it was like, um, no matter what we offer, it needs to be it, like the importance of it reflecting value for money and over delivering on that was super important. And that's hospitality. I mean, like, 
and that is hospitality. But I think we we really push that, and we prob and and subsequently we probably underpinned our price point for far too long, um, and. Um, but that was maybe a good thing in building the bones to it. But I feel like we're a great value for value for money restaurant. Um, and um, the team that we've naturally built over this time are so um, focused on wanting to provide that special occasion. And that's what we feed off. So like it's not it's not a new thing for us. We you know, we, we give these complimentary birthday or anniversary cakes and um, we did 75 of them last week individually going out in the dining room. We love it. I can't stop it when I see one of them leaving the kitchen. It's this little wattle seed sponge with chocolate mousse and like a little mandarin uh, cream icing on it at the moment. But when that leaves the kitchen, I kind of stop on the mains bench just to watch that go out because that's what I feed off. When I see that little surprise going down on table 12, like – you feed off that. That is that is that's why you're there. It's a good reminder why we do it. Um, and I think, um, yeah, it's like nothing changes in the way that we view that moving forward. And uh, I think as long as customers, when they come in, feel that passion and and um, feel that feel that occasion that they're out to celebrate. And if we can if we can if we can home that experience and make that feel personal for them, um, you know, that, that's, that's what we need to continue to focus on moving forward. It's, a, it's a, um, having, having service staff that, that are capable of delivering um, an experience at a level but also being personal, personalising that is ultra important. The Hunter Valley is known for its wines, which you've briefly touched on, um, why do you love the region? Mm, I am. Um, I grew up in Lake Macquarie, so it's just near Newcastle, about 15, 20 minutes from Newcastle. And um, I started chefing down there at a, an old Italian restaurant when I was 16. And um, everyone was talking about, uh, if, you were, if you were interested in furthering your career in cooking, everyone was talking about the Hunter Valley um, back then in, um, yeah, early 2000s. Um, so... And everyone was talking about Robert. It was uh, Robert's restaurant and um, Robert Molinares and Shaky Tables at the time. Yes. And um, it was about a forty-five minute drive. Fifty. No, actually, it was a little bit further. It was about an hour drive from where I was living. And um, so, yeah, that 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 was the place to be for me. If I didn't, if I wanted to stay at home, which I was 16, 17, that was the place that you looked to go and work. So. Um, um, I got a job at Robert's Restaurant and I started working under Robert Molinez and um, that's where I fell truly in love with food and hospitality and and what running a restaurant can bring and, and different ingredients and, you know, you'd have baby goats getting delivered out the back or there'll be, you know, eels from a local dam in there or we'd be cutting up half a, half a veal and there, were, there was just all these fruit and vegetables that I hadn't seen before and and seafood and it was just an exciting place to learn a great a great um training ground and um and 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 driving into the valley um every day from the hunter valley that transition when you come over that mount mountain range into the hunter valley it's a nice feeling and i'm sure everyone who comes from sydney gets that feeling when you enter the hunter valley it's beautiful you know it's really beautiful it's quite romantic and um, it's easy to fall in love with once you start to know the area and the people in it. So it kind of swept me up and there was no, 
there was no um there was no looking back after after spending those four years at Roberts. So kind of it's it's where I wanted to be. It's where it's where the customers were enjoying the food the most as well at the time. I think um, the food culture in Newcastle is fantastic and great, but like it's um, having that influx of people, different people coming to the area every weekend. That's exciting, and um, yeah, I just kind of I kind of got swept up with the area. Well, the restaurant is open again. What's what's it been like since getting the mm. team back together and um, cooking again? It's been it's been it's been wonderful. I mean. It's been wonderful. We tried to keep in all like connecting whilst we're all in um, isolation. We caught up and did a, a pecan harvest down here, and we've had our head sommelier doing some some Zoom tutorials and some bits and pieces. We went in and judged up the restaurant a little bit with some painting and touch ups together. But getting to open, we, we made the decision to open open even under that ten covers and just flip and do um, twenty covers per service. And um, we we probably needed that. It's a big machine, and to make sure that we're all in sync and, and going again, um, it was a bit of it was a nice little priming period for us because we'd come back on the change of a season and um, starting a few new dishes as well. So it was that was a nice soft smooth integration to getting up to this fifty covers. Um, restricted fifty cover seating, and um, yeah, and as I said, there's a buzz in the valley and. Um, the staff are happy to be back and um, yeah it's it's been good it's been good and 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 sooner than sooner than we all thought so we should be very grateful very thankful what's exciting you about this next sort of six to 12 months in the region and the restaurant mm, I think um, I think for me um, changing the hours just a little bit um, which where which looks like it's going to go ahead um, and, and, and striking that balance again that I was talking about between um, work and, and, and family time. And um, I think that's a really exciting prospect for me. We don't usually make too many changes to the restaurant or the structure of it or the operating hours. If we do change something, we usually let it ride for two or three years. Um, so closing maybe on a Sunday completely or a Saturday lunch is a big decision for us. So that's quite exciting. Um, and I'm just I'm just very grateful to, to to be able to open back up again and 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 see a bit of a bright future in terms of um, visitation from Australians in our in coming to coming to the Hunter Valley, and um, hopefully that stays firm for for the near future. Um, that the whole the whole idea of that is very exciting. Well, Troy, I still owe you a beer. Uh, for helping us out, <laughs> <laughs> you bloody, you bloody do. <laughs> um, you know, helping us out with bread rolls and liquid nitrogen, which um, which is pretty weird. I probably should give context to that. We had some extraordinary chefs cook at our wedding, with the likes of Joe Barrett and uh, Matt Stone and Jared Ingersoll and Chris Lowe, and we had you down the road um, <laughs> with the liquid nitrogen and the bread rolls, and which Joe Barrett used the use the liquid nitrogen to make ice cream in front of the kids at the wedding, which was, you know, absolute magic. Fantastic. It was quite, it was quite the strange, uh, <laughs> quite the strange request to get a text message from Anthony Huckstep requesting a hundred loaves of sourdough and a 35 litre jar of liquid nitrogen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. what, what is he up to? That's a hell of a night. Um, and, exactly right. Um, mate, I definitely uh, look forward to seeing you and sharing a beer and buying you a beer for, for the, the, your generosity and help with that 
um, in that period and always bloody awesome to talk to you. Uh, thanks for catching us, catching up with us and um, keep in touch. Oh, thanks, Huck. And thank you for thank you for the podcast, mate. Like it's been wonderful and fantastic to tune into. And um a lot of different people on there and a lot of different views and a lot of heartfelt stuff and um and some and some wonderful information as well that it's sharing with everyone. So congratulations to you and Rob too. Fantastic guys. Thanks, mate. Looking forward to a beer soon. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>